Coming up this hour, if a 50-year-old can win the PGA Championship, then we all have hope as we get older. And then we ask, what are the dangers of the use of the term woke? You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, happy Monday and welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a beautiful Monday afternoon. Aubrey, you're here, you're dancing, you're ready to go. I it's am Monday. ready on this Monday. It's a feeling like a good Monday. It's going to be a good week. It's I good. feel it. You've just decided it. Monday, I have. Monday is here. But before we move on, your weekend, how was it? Uh, it was awesome. We did a lot of mulching. So I like mulching, which is something that you might learn about me as time goes on. Um, but then we went to Ohio Street Beach in Chicago and hung out for a while. That was really fun as a family. Are you able to swim there yet? Is you can that- swim. My husband's training for a triathlon and a half Ironman. So he swam and the kids swam and I did not swim. I read, I read a book on the beach. My oldest oh, son, win, Drew, win. but, you know, we had a great time. We had a very win, fun win. time. How was your weekend? It was great. Uh, something I told you off air, I love to mow the lawn, so I mowed the lawn this weekend. Wonderful. That is, like, my happy place. That is shocking information. Love it. Love it. But then uh, it's going to be a rinse repeat here for every week for me. Baseball. Oh, Lots baseball, of baseball, baseball yeah. for my son's baseball team nice. and my daughter's softball team. And I love it. You said I'm sunburned. You are. You're I looking like, a little tan over there. I like the other parents and you're there for like hours and the kids played great. It's just a lot of fun. That's and fun. so isn't it weird? Like you hit this point in your life where it's like about what your kids do. Yeah, like, more than it's about like what you're up to. If you had told me at a certain age of my life, you're going to spend your a lot of your weekend <laughs> watching 13 year olds play baseball. Like my life stinks. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually love it. You feel like you've I arrived. love it. It's That's my favorite awesome. thing of the week other than the show how of did course. their teams do this weekend so my son's team did awesome they lost in the championship game again of this tournament but they were missing like three of their best players and only had nine kids for like a five game tournament and they just made it they did great and nice. so my daughter gotta be honest my daughter's a little dominant at softball too right now so yeah yeah a, girl time to be a from right now <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i've enjoyed awesome. it well we're really glad to have you with us okay i'm gonna start us with sports again Awesome. You feel good about that? Me. Like you're <laughs> you are growing. I can't wait. You are growing in I your am. sports. No, you're ability. teaching me, you are refining me. I am I'm I'm learning. I got you watching the NFL draft a few weeks you ago. Did. That was huge. Stuff. All right. So here's what happened yesterday. This was the big sports tour. NBA playoffs are going on, baseball's going on, all this stuff. But there was one of the four golf majors yesterday called the PGA Championship. Okay. I know about the PGA Championship. And it was happening out in South Carolina at Kiowa, right on the ocean. Like literally you could hit it off of the fairway onto the beach and it was was beautiful and so uh it's a pga championship a lot of eyes on it and all of a sudden as the weekend's going along phil mickelson is in contention now phil mickelson is 50 years old and hasn't won a tournament he's one of the greatest players ever but hasn't won a tournament he hasn't been in the top 20 in his last 17 tournaments oh wow okay and so uh people are like oh is mickelson's in it well this isn't gonna last and then friday turns into saturday like mickelson's still in this and so yesterday he went in with a shot lead on brooks kepka who's one of the big up-and-comers and you're like well, i don't know that he can hold off kepka long story short mickelson won yesterday that's awesome 50 year old so he is now the oldest uh golfer ever to win a major championship Very one cool. of the four majors uh, and and you and I were talking about it off air, going. There's something like you and I. We're not fifty. Yeah. I and I did just turn forty four. I almost said I'm forty three. I'm forty four. We're not quite far away from fifty. So you are forty three. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just so inspiring to hear and see what Phil Mickelson did. In fact, I want you to hear some words from Phil Mickelson. Listen to what Mickelson had to say after the round. Even for golf's most ardent fans. Phil defeats 
Father time. Sunday's PGA Championship ending felt out of left field. One of the sport's most beloved athletes, Phil Mickelson, putting on a show at the age of 50, walking to the 18th green mobbed by spectators, becoming the oldest golfer ever to win a major championship. I just love this game of golf, and I love what I do, and I love the... Uh, the challenge of competing against such great players. I mean, what a what an incredible competitor and tough player Brooks Kepka is. The normally unshakable Brooks Kepka, who finished two strokes behind at four under, was still in diapers when Mickelson, a prodigy, won the Northern Telecom Open at 20 as an amateur. So, all right, Mickelson, he talks about this, and anyone knows that voice, it's Phil Mickelson. But, Aubrey, what's our... Uh, I jokingly said we could be encouraged at the age of 50 that he won it. But but there is something yeah. about Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl at yeah. 43, LeBron at 38, uh, Mickelson at 50. There is this reminder that when you hit, in sports terms, those ages are elderly, right? <laughs> right, But right. even in normal life, as you hit that retirement age, and yeah. this, you don't have to just ride off into the sunset. Yeah, right? you like, could still something. win championships and still keep going after your dreams and your passions. Today, by the way, speaking of this, today is Bob Dylan's 80th birthday, Bob Dylan, who's the folk musician and artist. And what I love about his story, similarly, is he is like actually uh, creating art now. That's He's right. an artist. And so here's another guy. I mean, a lot, 80 and 50 are a lot different. But still, like, here's another guy who's still finding joy in life, pursuing a passion, expressing himself creatively. I just love thinking that we don't have to quit, right? Yes, we yes. don't have to become lazy just watching the TV all the time. We can keep going after our pursuits. It feels biblical to me, right? Mm. That, that, that we're not just supposed to hang it up at some point and be like, well, now I'm retirement age. I don't have to do anything. Or now I'm you know, a 50-year-old golfer. I can't beat these young kids anymore. But instead, saying, okay... Like to move this now into kind of into the, into the Christian and the Christ follower world. Like, what does God have for me now? Maybe I'm retiring. Uh, I'm not. I wish, right? But maybe I'm in <laughs> retirement age. It's not now. I don't have to do anything. But instead, what's the next thing I can do for the kingdom? Right? What's the next challenge I can do? Yeah. What's the next dream? I think that's key in life and keeping your. Your mental capacity is going. It's age 70, 75, 80. Still, what does God have for me? What's a new thing that I can even now kind yeah, of work and, towards and, in a couple? And how can I pour into the next generation yes. with what I've learned? Like, not even just only about you, but also, like, what would God have you invest in the future and right. the next generations of Christ followers? I I love thinking that that's a, such a beautiful potential as we age. Yep. And what we learned here is that uh, you're a Bob Dylan fan. I have on a Bob Dylan t-shirt today you in do? honor of his birthday. Yes, ha- yes, which might be the most surprising thing to me that I'm you're a Bob Dylan fan. I'm surprised by that, Brian. Yeah, you straight. Never mind. I'm not going to tell you who I kind of classify you as. But... <laughs> Is it K-pop, Brian? Yeah, K-pop. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have a lot of Bob Dylan albums vi- on vinyl. I am a big. I'm a big kind of old 70s, 60s, 70s music we, person. You are an old person at heart. We learn a new thing about Aubrey's episode every day. So uh, for those of you feeling kind of past your prime and a little older, be encouraged today. Phil That's Mickelson right. won the PGA Championship. Bob Dylan's doing art at 80. You don't have to hang him up. Ask that question. What's the next thing that God has for me? Well, coming up next, Aubrey, I want to have a conversation about a term that is so loaded. It might be the single most loaded term in our culture right now, and that Ooh, okay. is the the term woke. David French wrote something really fascinating about uh, the, con- the the title woke, and we're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.
Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So happy to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. Some of you have a case of the Mondays, it's off <laughs> the weekend. We hope we can bring you some joy That's today. That's right, we want to lift you up. We do, but we also want to have some hard conversations. We try not to shy away from things here on The Common Good. Remember even last week, I don't remember what we talked about, but you and I went, are we really going to go there? Are we really going <laughs> to do that? Are we going to step that? in this? <laughs> and so with that in mind... Uh, Aubrey, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this weekend about the term woke, because if you've been any, you know, just culturally, yeah. but also underneath that Christian culturally, right? there is this kind of, a, I don't even know when the term woke started, but, but there is, um, there's so much baggage with this term woke, like, right. Uh, to be quote unquote woke. Well, how would you, and then I'll tell you, I'll kind of de- tell you what the problem is with it, but how would you even define woke? When so, people say yeah, it, what do they mean? I think this was a question I had, like, I'm not sure why the word is a problem, but I think I'm missing some of the subtext because I always thought, this maybe shows my naivete, I thought woke just meant you had like woken up mm-hmm. to injustices in the world that maybe you hadn't seen before. So I actually thought woke had a semi-positive term to it that may show you camp Simon or what have you to be (laughs) honest like let's just show my cards here but what is tell me how you define woke Brian and why is why do people have a problem with the word so uh, I'm looking up here online it says woke is a term that refers you weren't off it refers to awareness of issues that concern social justice and racial justice it is sometimes used uh, in a vernacular in the English expression to stay woke. Okay. I think our friend David French, he, I'm, I'm, it's weird how he, how this happens sometimes. I was having this conversation with someone and then he happened to write about it this weekend. French Interesting. Uh, at the French press wrote this. Don't let fear of quote wokeness close hearts and close minds. Uh, he says this. Woke is treated as a synonym for, quote, wrong, yet the definition of woke is increasingly imprecise and often tied to anything that challenges conservative, conventional political wisdom, especially on matters of race. Let me just give it to you bluntly. Okay. I think the problem people have with the term woke is culturally, I don't think this is what it's meant to be, but I think culturally for a lot of people, woke equals liberal. Gotcha. Woke equals progressive. And so it's, it's like... I've woken up to how things are supposed to be, and it's not like how it's always been. So I'm kind of, I've progressed, progressive, right? I've progressed okay. further than you. Okay. Uh, and so I think how you described it is actually correct, uh, but but it's taken on, and this is the point I want to make, it's taken on so much more. Let me read something else French said. He says, what is the real threat of so-called wokeness? I'm increasingly convinced the answer varies greatly depending on the spaces that you live in, work, or worship. In blue America, wokeness defined broadly as a particularly zealous commitment to identity politics and or various versions of critical race can lead to intolerance and censorship. But in red America, by contrast, it's far different. Uh, It's a mere allegation of wokeness can often close minds and hearts. So Mm. it's, it's also around political lines. And here, let me read one more thing that French wrote. He said, because this is where I want to jump off from. He says, call something woke and too many Americans wall themselves off from engagement and reflexively oppose ideas that should be carefully considered. Hmm. Here's the idea. Here's what I want to get at with you. There's a long way to get to it. When we put titles on things like woke, I think it's done to stop discussion. 
and to make things, I don't mean this racially, I mean this uh, very black and white. Mm. You're either right or wrong. You're either in my camp or you're out of mm. my camp. So you're woke. You're Marxist. You're this. Yeah. You're that. Yeah. And some, I feel like this is happening more and more and more in our society. Uh, but do, let me know, do you agree that when we put, say, the term woke onto something, uh, we're kind of shutting down engagement and kind of running to our camps. We're running to our sides and it's kind of shutting conversation down. Yeah, it sort of seems like it's breeding tribalism, right? Because mm-hmm. if you, because if I'm understanding the way people are viewing this term, then if I'm woke and you're not quote unquote woke, then you're bad and I'm good mm-hmm. and we just go to our separate places and we don't ever have to engage rather than like, what is the actual issue at hand? Exactly right. How can we carefully consider it with our Christian community, with our nose in the Bible and say, what does the Lord have to say about this? What are things we can affirm? What are things we can't affirm as Christians? I think anytime you put a title or a name to something, it gives you that distance and it gives you that dehumanizing right. sort of muscle that allows you not to engage and that's almost lazy let's be honest yes yes if if you're and this is where it's often around topics of race or politics uh, social justice yeah but like if if you and i are having a disagreement about um we had a disagreement the other day uh-huh. about Mayor Lightfoot yeah, we did. Uh, only only doing interviews with uh, African-American right. um, uh, reporters, political right. reporters. And, and, uh, and Latino reporters. Yes, yeah. and you and I disagreed very yeah. much about this. Yeah. If, if I had said to you, Aubrey, you're just woke. I say that with the purpose of just cutting you just out. Just shutting me. And, you know, and if I would have said you're, I mean, what I don't know what the opposite of woke is. You're a, asleep. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it, probably, right? Well, you're just asleep to the issues of this world. And then, he, done. Yes, and here's what else it does. Anybody listening to our show, when you and I had that disagreement, yeah. and I just go, well, Aubrey, you're just woke, they would have gone, I know exactly who she is. Mm. I know exactly, she's this, she's this, she's this. When actually, we're just having a debate about a singular issue, like a right. singular thing right. that there's nuance to, right? Exactly. Throwing terms on stuff takes away all nuance. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it, it's my way of trying to put you in a box that just says, "Hey guys, let me tell you who, I know who that Samson person is. is. She's woke. She's woke. Yeah. She's liberal. She's yeah. this." And you could be like, "Hey, my people, uh, Brian. He believes this because he's mm-hmm. he's an evangelical, right? Right? Like he's right. Or he's like that. a Trumper or <laughs> exactly. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's spend it. Let's spin this now to okay. our to the church yeah. to Christians. Yeah. It feels like we. This is an area where we can't um, ride the tide of um, of culture, but we need to go against culture. Absolutely. So, what does that look like? Yeah. How do we do that? How do we proactively not be people as Christ followers who throw titles on people in order to marginalize them or put them to their sides so we can kind of classify people? Uh, how do we even not do that? Yeah, I mean, I think we we do have to have an awareness that we're doing it, right? So if you have that instinct, if I have that instinct, that reflex to name someone something yep. so that I don't have to engage with them, then I think that's a moment just to go, oh, I did that thing. That's not what the Lord would have. The Lord would want me to build bridges. The Lord would want me to build relationships. The Lord would want me to love, not dismiss. And so that doesn't mean not think critically. That's I right. want you to hear that Brian and I aren't saying That's that. Right. We think you are called to think critically as Christians in this world. But don't just go with the flow of using these terms when they allow you not to engage That's good. critically. That's good. That's what do good. you think, Brian? I think you're exactly right. So? And, and, and that happens. I think we have all felt this, right? Like you and I think a lot the same about things and a lot differently about other things. Yep. But there are people outside of, quote unquote, our tribe who just say, oh, they're both just evangelicals. 
<laughs> right. And now right. all of a sudden we've been painted with the same brush and now people are going, so I know everything they think. Whereas if they actually had conversations they with you and I. They might be surprised by with the things we think. Definitely. Yeah. Th- and you, things we agree on and don't agree on. There's a yeah. lot we agree on. Mm-hmm. You like blossom and grape candy. Like, I mean, it's just, there, there are differences. I like great things like that. Exactly. Uh, and so here's what we want to ask of you out there. Kind of look at the way you talk, the way you post, the way that you think about people. I don't think as Christians we should be people who are leading the charge to just put people in boxes. I agree. Oh, they're this. Oh, they're this. Therefore, I don't need to engage them or I know what they think. I think that's super unhelpful and it's growing in our culture. Just look at the word woke and and the ways it's thrown around to to quiet people or to just dismiss what they think. And that's never helpful. And I know it's not helpful because Jesus didn't do it. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's right. uh, You might disagree. Let us know up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. All right, coming up next, Aubrey and I are going to talk about what are some of the things that brought us joy during the pandemic, even though it was a really hard time and continues to be a hard time in many ways. What are some things that brought us joy? But mostly we want to hear from you. That's right. What are some things that brought you joy? So right now, pick up your phone and dial this number, 312 660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. And we just want to know. We want to hear from as many of you as possible. What are the habits, spiritual disciplines, practices, anything that brought you joy over the past year in this pandemic? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. I like to think of our listeners as friends. They're definitely our friends. Sure. Our common gooders. Goodies. Uh, you're trying. I know. You're I'm trying, trying to get it. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think anyone hate listens to us. I think we're good. Yeah. It's okay. We'll find out, I suppose, <laughs> if we have trolls. If you're out there, if you're out there because of how much you dislike us, please call us at 312 660 2594. Speaking of the phone call, here's what we're looking for. Uh, Aubrey and I, we've spent a lot of time during this pandemic talking about how hard it is. And it is hard. It's harder than anything most of us have gone through, even if you haven't had health repercussions from COVID. It's just taken away so much. But I think we'd all think that there are certain things that we've even started in our lives mm-hmm. or things we continued or when things got taken away, it reminded us of some of the things that are important. So we thought it would be fun for you and I to discuss a little bit. What are some things that have brought you joy over the past year in the pandemic? And we want to hear from you at 312-660-2594. It's that simple question. What little things, habits, disciplines, practices, uh, new hobbies, whatever else, uh, have brought you joy over the past year in this pandemic? All right, and we have a first caller. Angelica, are you on the line with us? Hey, yes, I am. Oh, hey, thanks so much for calling. So tell us, Angelica, what little things have brought you joy over the past year? Um, I think, you know, just, being able to connect more with my kids over this past year, mm. um, them being home a lot. Um, and my, my oldest is five and he's just been really asking more questions about God and just like being able to disciple to him a little bit more mm. and reading the Bible. You know, he's asking, you know, questions, you know, what, you know, how did God make us? And also being able to use the Bible in some ways when he's having a hard time to read a story about, you know, that reflects of 
a hard time that he might have gone through. And just like digging deeper with that with him has been really great this past year. I love that. That's so cool. I think a lot of parents probably are feeling that special, precious time with their kids has been increased during the pandemic. So thanks so much for calling, Angelica. Really appreciate you. Thanks. Bye. Have a great day. I know for me, that's such, that's my number one answer. Don't you think? Is what have I enjoyed? And I use that air quotes. What have I enjoyed about the pandemic? It's just some quality time with my kids and eating dinner around the table, which I already feel like we're losing again. Yeah. And uh, my son and I, when the, when the pandemic was at its earliest back in the spring last year, until I hurt my back a little bit, we started a wiffle ball league. One oh, that's just cool. the two of us in the background. You want to know the creative title we had for it? Yes, definitely. From Wiffle Ball League. <laughs> wow. Wow. You guys are real geniuses so, yeah, over I think, there. I think one of the lessons for a lot of us as parents is... How now that things are getting back to normal, how do we continue to engage our kids? Yes, I love that, Angelica. Thanks so much for calling in. All right, next we've got Gretchen on the line. Gretchen, are you there? I am. Hey, so Gretchen, we would love to hear what uh, brought you joy over the past year. You know, there was a couple things because at first it was um, scary. Yeah. Yeah. But then I found projects like sketching again and doing my artwork that I had let set on the shelf for so long. And it gave me the time and the feeling, and you can express a lot of emotion through the art. That's so true. And I also became much more proficient on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Our Bible study group continued our little uh, women's Bible study, continued our sessions on Zoom, and we'd even have monthly fellowships after our Zoom calls. Um, Still on Zoom, of course, but... Things that, that I learned a new talent. That's awesome. <laughs> that is very See? cool. Yep. See, there's some good things coming there from are. the pandemic. Thanks, Gretchen. Thank you. Thanks, Gretchen, for your time. Thank you. All right. Next up, we've got Ellen on the line. Ellen, are you there? Yeah. All right. Would love to hear what little things brought you joy this past year in the pandemic. You know, I, I, I thought of really two significant things for me. I had more time. Now, I'm an empty nester, retired, my husband and I. But I could get up every morning and spend my time in the Word that I wanted to, Mm. do my Bible study, not have to worry about a schedule, not have to worry if I wasn't getting something done because there was time in the day to get it done. Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, so that, yeah, and and it was great habit building because of that. Absolutely. And the other thing I found out after 47 years, I still like my husband. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's funny. We won't ask him to get online, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, we won't have him come on and affirm that. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling us, Ellen. We appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Bye now. I love that so many people said Bible study has been so important for them. Like it's just given them time to get back in God's word and that's encouraged them. I feel like that's been true for me as well during this time. Has it been for you, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, there have been just greater opportunities to slow down. Like I remember when the pandemic just started that that we were able to just sit outside in the sun mm-hmm. and read and you're like yes. okay I can you know my kids are home I'm home my wife is home and we're just doing things uh and so you know like happens with bible study a lot kind of up and down yeah. like you know yeah. I I lost my love for zoom very early right and so right. Uh, that that wasn't helpful. And again, if anybody else wants to add, you can call us at 312-660-2594. That's 
888-900-2594. What's one or two things, Aubrey, for you that you uh, you said, you know what, uh, the, during this pandemic, this is something that I've engaged in and it's brought me great joy. And even when life gets crazy again, I, I kind of want to ride this out for a little bit. Yeah, you know, we began to do really early on in the pandemic. Kevin brought home a giant whiteboard from the church office. And on Friday nights, we would play Pictionary or Scrabble oh, or just whatever as a family, have dinner, do that, and then watch a movie Slowly, the whiteboard kind of moved away, but and we've you know we've gotten into this habit of like getting pizza or portillos and just watching something together on Friday nights. And it sounds so simple, but I that has been such a special time for our family. Even on Friday night, our kids are like, "Mom, what are we gonna watch? What are we gonna eat?" Right. And even my teenager is excited about it. And so, I would love for that family rhythm, whatever it is, that connectedness to stay. Because I feel like that's been a lot of families have talked about the beauty that's of right. that, like you did. And yeah. I think the when you hear that from so many people, what it reminds us of is there are some real priorities in this life that maybe some of us like like you know what I have felt, Aubrey, and I'm sure a lot of other people have felt is Man, I don't miss being at at meetings at night. I never missed over the last year going, oh, I wish I had more meetings. You know? <laughs> I've talked to a lot of uh, my friends who travel for work, who haven't traveled for a year, and they mm-hmm. said, it's been really nice. And now they're going to have to travel again, but it, it, it has a little different perspective to it. It's so true. Like I think all of these, I think the takeaway, don't you think, is... If you enjoyed doing it during the pandemic, if it became if it changed your rhythm in a healthy way, like you've got to figure out a way to continue that rhythm, right. family, right. personal, spiritual, right. uh, exercise. Notice neither you nor I talked about our exercise habits <laughs> over the pandemic. Uh, that that you can continue those rhythms, yes, even in in the midst of now a busier work schedule, right. or a busier kids schedule, right. or school. Now the kids are there. Like it doesn't mean you have to go. Oh, that was so nice, but now I've got to get back now to it's rat over. Race. Uh, and and I think our kids are going to look like. Don't you don't you think that your kids and my kids they're going to have a little bit of a hard time getting back to whatever normal was? Like they're they're going to, I think, have a greater try to trying to figure out what to do next. And I think as parents, we have an opportunity to be like, okay, let us help you form that a little bit and help it look different from our kids than maybe it did fifteen months ago. I mean, it's interesting. Like there are definitely things my kids were into before the pandemic. Like uh, they all played instruments. And during the pandemic, mm. they really kind of just got bored with it. They didn't like it over Zoom. It wasn't joyful anymore. It felt tedious. So we were like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. We're all just trying to survive here. You quit. I think that's something like I, I want my kids to remember what they loved pre-pandemic. And let's start introducing that into our family life again. Not in a way that's stressful, but yes. in a way that's enjoyable and life-giving even for them so they can find the little moments of joy like we've been talking about. Absolutely. And we wanted to take just a little bit of time to talk about that because so much, rightfully so, when we talk about these last 15 months of the pandemic, is about how hard it's been. Right. And it has been hard. Yes. But even in the midst of the difficulties, and this is often how life is, even in the midst of the difficulties, there are blessings and there are things that we can learn. And I do think that new things can grow out of this hard time that we've been a part of. Well, you can still call us, 312-660-2594, 312-660-2594. Okay. Uh, coming up next, I want to talk to you about something that I saw okay. or I experienced this weekend hmm. that I found to be ridiculous, and I can't explain it. Like, I can't get my mind around it. And my first thought was, we're going to talk about this on the radio. Interesting. Can't wait for that. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. 
everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. If you ever want to call us, we'll talk to you about anything. That's you right. You can give us a call. In fact, I would actually like some phone calls if you're out there uh, to the story I'm about to tell. So I, I need some clarity on this story. Okay. So that number is 312 660 312-660-2594. Nine four. All right, you ready for my story? I'm ready. I need I need some clarity. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what the takeaway is. I don't know what it says about us as a culture. So I said, as I've said earlier in the show, uh, I spent the weekend at my my son's baseball tournament down in Joliet. So not spent the weekend. We just drive back yeah, and forth. Yeah. And, uh, but it felt like I spent the weekend down there. And so he had to be to his game. You know, say an hour 15 before first pitch. Well, I drive them. I don't want to sit there and watch 13 right. yards warm up. <laughs> so I dropped them off and I went to Starbucks. There's Starbucks up the road uh, in Joliet. I went up to Starbucks and I pulled into the Starbucks. Okay. We all know what Starbucks look like. Drive through this or that. Yes. I pull into the Starbucks and I'm not kidding. It is the longest line I've ever seen at the drive through at least 20 cars. Unbelievable. Like just picture that people. Like 20 cars that that like when we, I usually think a drive-through line is really long at like 5. That's people. what I was thinking like 5 Those cars people. feels like a lot. This is like 20 people long. It goes around the Starbucks and kind of out again and I was like my first thought was I am not doing right. this. I'll Who's waiting in that line? Out. Yeah. And you know, I love unsweetened iced teas mm-hmm. more than the average person. Yes. That's what I get at Starbucks, but I was like that's not going to be worth it. I'll go to Dunkin Donuts and I'll go get a unsweetened iced tea there. Yeah. And then I had this thought. I said, oh, well, maybe I can just go inside. Like, it's just <laughs> not, maybe it's not that busy in there. Yeah. So I kind of staked around the line. I parked my car and I was like, all right, if it's really long in there, I will just go, but might mm-hmm. as well go check. Uh, so I, w- I parked the car, I walked in. And uh, take a guess. Well, you were, I already told you the story. I was going to say, guess how many people were in the store inside? Zero. There was not another soul. So you walked right up to the counter, got your drink. And here's the funny part. It's like the people behind the counter were surprised to, <laughs> to see To like actually see. And there were no signs on the door, like don't come in. No, no. they were happy. Hey, how are you doing? <gasps> no For, way. Girls right at the register. Right away at the register. It wasn't like they were doing all yeah. the busy. Okay. Right to the register. I had my drink within couple two, minutes. Two minutes. Three minutes. Okay, do you want to hear a crazy similar story? I do. So Kevin and I, I think I said earlier, we were at Ohio Street Beach on Sunday hanging out. We decided to stop at Portillo's on the way home because we wanted to get some Mm. lunch, but didn't want to get it in the city just because all the waits were really long. And it's the same thing. We drive up. We're thinking we're going to drive through and get our kids a couple hot dogs. The drive through line was 20 cars deep. That's right. It was out of control. And so we were like, well, maybe we'll just go in. It was literally the same thing. We pull in. No one is there. We sat in the restaurant. We're looking around. feels like a ghost town. We leave. The the drive-thru line is still crazy long, even after we left. So what... I mean, those are two circumstances, but what is happening? I don't know. I almost got caught. I walked out of Starbucks with my drink, and then I got in my car, and I almost couldn't get out of the parking lot because of how jammed up the uh, crazy uh, the drive-through line was. And I had the exact same thought you did. What does this <laughs> tell us? Yeah. This, you know, I don't think it's pandemic-related. Maybe for some people, maybe you've gotten so used to being inside 
Right. Or like in your uh, car. It, right. Not going inside. But I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that because you could put a mask on if you felt uncomfortable. Yeah. You got spacing. It's You walk inside. Yeah. It, like it would be one thing. Uh, and let me tell you, let me add this. I would normally be the person who stays in the, in the drive-thru line. But I'm not kidding when I say this drive-thru line was probably a half hour long. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And the problem with the Starbucks drive-thru line is... Starbucks, they like curb it on both sides at every Starbucks, and so right. you're trapped once you're in there. So who First knows? Yeah, so, exactly. You're trapped at Starbucks. Oh no! But how, how many of those people like wanted to leave when they couldn't? Uh, all right. So part of your and I's job as radio hosts, as pastors, is to take the ordinary and go. What's the what's the extrapolation what's the life lesson here? here? What? Let's ask why first. And again, you could call. Maybe you're like, hey, I would have just stayed in that line. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from you. 312-660-2594. 312-660-2594. Maybe some of you are going, that Starbucks line could have been an hour long, and I'm not parking and going in. But I'm telling you, people, there was literally not another soul in the yeah. side of the Starbucks. Yeah. Aubrey Sampson, what is going on? What happened? Why is that... Uh, why did that happen at Portillo's for you, yeah. Starbucks for me? And I think people are probably listening going, I'm not surprised by that at all. Why is that the case? Well, I know you said you don't think it's pandemic related. I do. I think we've gotten in the habit of not going in the store, of either ordering and then expecting it to come out to us or driving through. And so now I don't know if we've just become lazy. I mean, I, I, when I'm saying pandemic, I don't mean fearful. I mean habitual. We mm. have made this habit so now we don't even want to go to stores anymore. I mean, I'll be honest with you, confession, like I would still rather order my groceries and have them delivered or drive up and have someone bring them out to me than go into the store. Now oh, it's pure that. convenience. I'm not afraid to go into the store. It is pure convenience. But 30 minutes, I, I guess no one's in a hurry. I don't, I mean. I mean maybe they had an hour between baseball games Yeah, too, maybe but, that's it. But I do think what, you got yeah, what do you think? I think it's convenience. convenience I think it's people yeah. going... Uh, I'd rather sit in my car and listen to the radio or a podcast. The air conditioning is on. Yeah, But it, it was so stark to me, the difference between that line and what was going on inside. It's not like it was kind of long in there, but long outside. Like it was just... Is there some big drive-through promotion you and I missed no. on the weekend? We didn't know it was happening. No, yeah, it's just it's crazy. So I don't know. What's I do think there's a takeaway here. This gets at. Uh, let me let me make a kind of a big leap here. Okay, make stretch. it. Let's hear. Let's as hear, pastors, pastor. As pastors, I think one of our fears, one of my fears, uh, is people's desire to be back in person mm, around each other at church, and also people's desire to even be at the church in general. Mm. Not even out of fear, but out of practice, we're used to getting stuff delivered yeah. to us. Yeah, there's still people. We can grab church online. We don't have to get dressed. Right. For some people, it's fear. Right. But I don't think a lot of people, I actually have begun to wonder if there's a huge conglomeration. That's not the right word. Is there a huge group of people culturally, church culturally, who just aren't going to go back to church because they're like, well, I don't really see the point anymore. I think too, especially in the summer, I think a lot of people are going to choose to stay online because mm-hmm. it's convenient, because they might be traveling, because it's summer. Summer attendance is down anyway in churches across the board, Always. at least in America. So we're assuming it's going to be low anyway. Now it's like, well, we'll just uh, we'll just stay online in the summer. But then in the fall, maybe we'll see what church attendance is like. But that is interesting to think about. Will people return to church? Will they get out of their cars Will we become sort of more of a consumer culture than we were in the first place? And that's we have fears as pastors, right? That's my fear is uh, maybe they're just not coming back. And how do we know? When do we know? What does that even look like? 
I don't know. And some of you might be like, that's from a Starbucks line? Yeah, that's the way it's pastor's thing. Yeah, that's the way you think. How does this impact Gosh, church? they won't go in there. Maybe What's I happening spiritually? What, what does the Lord want to say about this? Yeah. something has changed. Mm-hmm. And there's a convenience. I'm my, my wife would be a, she, it would take a lot to get her to not go through that drive through line. Yeah. Uh, but something has changed culturally that maybe was going to change anyway. Maybe. But this pandemic seems to have sped it up. This yeah. idea, like, I don't want to be around people. Yeah. I want convenience. Yeah. Oh, I've learned the value of getting all of my groceries delivered right. to my front step, which guilty as charged. Like, we do that as well. Uh, it will be interesting to see what socialization begins to look like mm-hmm. again. What does it, how long does it take? And who are some of the people in our lives Uh, who maybe don't have the ability to get back. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. All from a Starbucks line. Look at you. You're so profound. Glad you're joining us today. For Aubrey Sampson, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, what can we learn from Saturday Night Live and American Idol this weekend about recovering from COVID? And then we're joined by Chris Bale to talk about his book, Breaking the Social Media Prism. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Hey, thanks for joining us. We're glad that you're here with us today. We're so glad that you're here on this Monday afternoon. It's beautiful outside. Yeah, it is. It's 85 degrees. I don't know. Are you a heat person? Do you like like it when it's really hot outside, or is this too much? Oh, wow. That feels like a heavy question. I like summer. I like spring and summer. But what I love about the winters is just being cozy inside by a fire. So I like both. Yeah, I could do without the winters. So okay, I know so the people are like, I person. need seasons. Yes, yeah. every time. And yeah. so this is kind of my time of year. I'm excited for this. Nice. And uh, we're glad that you're joining us. Now, Now, something that's happening right now, Aubrey, is kind of the end of the... Um, the traditional seasons of uh, television. Right, right. Netflix right. has changed that. Everything has kind of changed the patterns. But for those people who still watch, especially network television, yes. I'm sounding so old. I know, network TV. You know, for those of you who have to stand up to change the channel. And if then... you're moving the antenna around. <laughs> I love when you do old person voice. You did they it always the other day like too. This. <laughs> uh, but for those of you who still watch the network TVs, uh, this is kind of the end of the season. Yes. Complete parenthetical, complete outside. My Our main TV broke this weekend. No! Yes. Very angry about this. because of the terrible. cost that's coming my way. I'm so sorry. It was a hand-me-down. So a couple, anyway, long story short, nobody right. needs to know. But, right. uh, you know, that's the cross I bear right now. That is <laughs> the cross for I bear. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but two shows ended this weekend. Yes. Their, their seasons ended. The first, Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live fan? I uh, I love Saturday Night Live except when they're raunchy and inappropriate, which is which is often. So you I have like sort of a, no, that. it's true. I have a love hate relationship <laughs> with them. Like I really want to watch it because I love comedy and I love some of the people on it. But then I find myself half the time going, oh, uh, oh, and they make fun of Christians a lot. They do. And, ah, so I am starting to wonder, like, yeah, maybe I'm beyond the target audience now for Saturday Night Live. But they had an interesting weekend. That's right. That's what we're gonna in get on. their show open. Um, they were reflecting on doing this year in the pandemic of shows. And uh, they got really emotional as they reflect on the year. So let's take a listen to that. 
Mostly, we remember how lucky we were to have a job at a time when so many people were out of work. We remember that seeing even the tops of our friends' faces was better than being alone in our apartments with our adopted pet children. <laughs> we remember losing members of our SNL family, like our beloved music producer Hal Wilner, and so many family members of our cast and crew who we thought of every time we did a show. This was the year <laughs> we realized we're more than just a cast; we're a family, and like a true family. We are kind of sick of each other, <laughs> and we need a little break. <laughs> That's really you're not you don't expect that on Saturday Night Live. No, right? you don't expect that. It felt so vulnerable, and what I was struck by was just like, wow, we have all been through this thing together. Yeah, as is with the title of the show, Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. It's a live show, and so they wasn't like, hey, now you cry here. Let's right. oh, that was good. Let's keep that. That was just honest feelings right there. And they talked about people that they had lost, uh, but also just how hard it must have been to do a year with no audience and Mm -hmm. Zoom and this and that. And and I think there's a great connection, but I think so many of us feel that right now. And and I, I can do this in my own life. I wonder how you feel. In my own life, I can constantly be looking forward. What's happening tomorrow? What do I have to do to the, you know today after I wake up? What's happening next week? Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not good at spending time reflecting mm. until I have to until yeah. it like bubbles up and right, this or right. that. And uh, I think we, if, if you're like me and you you don't reflect well and you don't process well, we just have been through and are still, but really kind of coming out mm-hmm. of it. We've been through a lot. Yes, and it's gonna get you. And I think all of us yes. need sometimes of like just mourning and reflecting yeah. and maybe crying for the yeah. ones they lost, the things we've lost. It does feel important, don't you think, that we actually take some time to go, not just, hey, we're out of this, let's go forward, yeah. but to go, man, I don't, I, this this year's kind of broken me up a little bit. Yeah, this almost, I, I mean, it sounds funny to take this lesson from Saturday Night Live, but it did make me think, I wonder if even in our churches, do we need to have sort of a ceremonial time mm. of remembering reflecting back on all of the things we've been through, all the folks we've lost in our church communities, family members that we've lost, things that changed, and just honestly spend some time before the Lord lamenting. You know that's important to me, but I think more than ever this is an important time before we begin to move forward and relaunch our churches and jump back into everything because that's what I was really struck by, thinking these these quote-unquote celebs on Saturday Night Live have had the same shared experience that we've had, and it has been hard for That's everyone. Right. And I think you're right, Brian, that we can't just run into it, uh, into the next season without processing somehow what has happened. I think that'll actually be really healthy for us. It would be healthy, and I think a lot of us just need to be honest because yeah. it's going to come out. Um, One way or the other, it's going to come out. You know, We hear of people leaving jobs or leaving relationships yeah. or uh, all sorts of things where it's just... Um, the fruits of the last 15 months, I think, are deep, mm-hmm. and we've never been through anything like that. So I would say, you know, who the, Saturday Night Live teaching us to reflect a little bit right, and own right. what's going on. But then another show ended last night. Uh, it's somewhat popular in my home, although hopefully my wife and my daughter Emily are not listening right now because they have yet to watch the finale. Oh, they haven't? Oh, okay. Don't Spoiler worry. alert, don't worry. They're people. Not, they're not listening. We're good. Okay, We're okay, good. okay. I mean, yes, please, Carrie, turn the, turn the radio <laughs> off right now. Uh, yes, there is a little spoiler alert coming here. Last night was the end of American Idol. It was. Some big of you season. Going, some of you are going, 
I didn't know it started. Right, again. I didn't know that show was on. <laughs> but Aubrey, a big fan a of American big Idol. Fan. Uh, what do you love about American Idol? And then you can lead us in. We're going to listen to how it ended last night. Oh, but what do I you just love. love I just love sort of nervous talent becoming super confident in the giftedness that they have, and watching mentors lead them along the way. It's it's you see the growth over a season. It's really right. really fun. That's right. So uh, it ended last night. Uh, with the winner, again, spoiler alert, Chase Beckham was named the winner. Let's listen to that. The winner of American Idol 2021 is Chase Beckham. Chase, congratulations. You win American Idol. First of all. <laughs> Can we just speak to the the abilities of Ryan Seacrest? I guess what I was just thinking, that man is gifted he at the is, pregnant pause. He, like, that was amazing. He is the DeClark of our generation. Yeah, he is. But, but I do love that. He's like, the winner <laughs> of American Idol 2021. <laughs> he just keeps going. He uh, just keeps going. I mean, brilliant. And brilliant. just dying there. So, give us your take. Oh, I, you, you know, I wanted Willie Spence to win. This kid, Chase Beckham, he checks all the boxes, but he's already got a single, like, number one single on Does the country really? charts. Yeah, he's fine. He doesn't need to win American Idol. His, his career is happening. Actually, that's what I thought last night, because Grace Kinsler wanted her to win, too. Her or Willie or Chase, they're all fine now. They're going to get careers. They're going to get signed. You saw their immense talent. It was a fun, fun season. I tend to agree with you. But my kids, they went through a stage where they all loved American Idol. So we would watch it as a family. Yeah, okay. And I was really shocked how many years in a row... The winner and the second place that you invested all this time in, you never heard from them again. My well, daughter, that is true, right? My youngest daughter was obsessed a couple of years ago with Trent Harmon. And Trent Harmon won American. There's the I don't even know that name. I don't even know who that is. One American Idol. Yeah. And he is literally, we'll joke about it now, like, whatever happened to that Trent Harmon yeah. guy? Nothing. And so hopefully they come out. Willie Spence was unbelievable. I mean, and Grace Kinsler was unbelievable. Yes, so, so talented. Hopefully we do see them there, uh, see them again. All right. With the little time we have left, the same way that Saturday Night Live has yes. taught us that we need to reflect and kind of look backwards. I do think American Idol and its pomp and its mm-hmm. circum- you know, all of its celebration kind of says, hey, we're entering a season where maybe we can start to look forward. Yeah, I appreciated that. They went from a very you know, hard season last year where they had to stop midseason and performance had to be in homes. This year, they almost went over the top to make the show bigger and better than ever. And that felt like a lesson, too, right? That we yep. can... After we spend some time grieving, reckoning, remembering all the things we've lost, we can begin to place our hopes and our dreams of the future into God's hands. And let's start celebrating. Let's have backyard parties. Let's have grills. Let's have fire pits. Let's be together again and look forward with expectation Mm -hmm. to what the world is going to be. You know, one of the greatest things that happened this weekend was there was multiple sporting events where fans were there. That's amazing. And it was the Knicks game was off the charts. That's cool. The PGA Championship when Phil Mickelson won, and you you watch these and you realize I didn't realize how much I missed yeah, that, yeah, like how much yeah. that adds. And so there is this looking forward while we look back that I think is really important. Well, coming up next, 
the author of the book called Breaking the Social Media Prism, How to Make Our Platforms Less Polarizing. His name is Chris Bale, a professor of sociology and public policy at Duke University. He's going to call. He's going to talk to us about social media, help us understand uh, the goods, the bads, and how we should be handling it. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today here on The Common Good. Uh, We're really glad to have you with us. Uh, Go find our podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. And Aubrey, one of the things we talk about here on the show often, sometimes it feels like too much, but but it's like the topic, I think, for this culture and this time where we need to deal with, and that's social media. Right. Uh, I've told you over the summer I watched uh, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, and it was fascinating and terrifying all at once all at once i think everybody should watch it and with that in mind uh this idea of social media we are about to be joined here by the author of a new book called breaking the social media prism how to make our platforms less polarizing he's professor of sociology and public policy at duke university where he directs something called the polarization lab his name is chris bale chris how are you doing I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're, it's our pleasure, man. Thanks so much for coming on today. And your book is fabulous, and we're excited to talk to you about it. But before we jump into your book, could you just introduce yourself to our audience so they could get to know you a little bit? Sure. You know, for about 10 years, I've been really concerned about social media and political polarization. You know, I think we've all seen these trends increase. You know, we've all yes. felt, I think, helpless about, you know, what can be done on social media. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do two things. First, I wanted to do some high-quality research Mm -hmm. to try to, you know, guide us and take the next steps, but also to produce some tools that people can use, real, you know, real social media users can use to try to counter political tribalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds so good. So, So, Chris, tell us a little bit about the premise of the book, Breaking the Social Media Prism, and um, why right now? I mean, I can have guesses, but from your perspective, why does this book need to be published right now? Well, you know, about four or five years ago, we crossed the threshold as a country that, that really worries me. For the first time ever, our hatred of the other party mm-hmm. surpassed our love for our own party. Mm. And, you know, that sounds, that sounds off kind of alarm bells for social scientists like me because we know that that just makes things about, you know, identity politics and not about the issues. And we have so many important issues to deal with right now. So, you know, now's the time. Uh, I think COVID lays it bare, right? I mean, everybody's so polarized and the only thing worse than, you know, half the country, one, you know, completely social distancing or completely opening the economy is when half of the country does one of those things and the other half is doing the other. Right, right. That's a perfect example of why right now is the time, yeah. Absolutely. And Chris, I said, you might have heard me before you came on, I saw, I watched The Social Dilemma over the summer or, or back in the winter, and it just completely freaked me out. I'm sure you've seen it. And it helped me realize that uh, everything that we kind of think and we know about social media, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, uh, is kind of wrong. And, and I know that you dive into that. Could you help us uh, understand how everything we think we know about social media is actually wrong? Well, you know, movies like The Social Dilemma are great because they're raising awareness. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are left after, you know, watching that movie with the idea that Facebook can kind of flip a magical switch and stop polarizing us. Mm. And, you know, 
after years of doing research on this, I wish that were true. I really, <laughs> really do. Right. But I have some bad news, which is that I don't think, A, they have that kind of switch, or B, if they did, it would really move the needle very much. Yeah. And what we're, what we're not appreciating enough, I think, is how each of us, all of us, our own behavior, and I'm not just talking about the extremists out there, I'm also mm-hmm. talking about the moderates who are not posting on social media very much. Mm. It's, it's all of our behavior that's creating this problem. And, you know, if we wait for Facebook to save us, I, I'm worried, you know, we'll wind up right back where we are. That's right. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that human behavior. What are we doing that is causing this polarization? How can we break out of whatever we're doing, more importantly? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I think everybody needs to know is that we are much less polarized than it looks like on social media. Mm. If we look at Twitter, for example, about 73% of posts about politics are created by just 6% of Twitter users. Wow. And that 6% of Twitter users has very extreme views. So what that means is if you're a conservative person and you come across a liberal person talking about politics online, it's very likely that that person has extreme views. Mm-hmm. And what you're not seeing is the far greater majority of social media users who actually never post about politics. And that's what I call the social media prism in my book. Mm-hmm. What I'm most worried about is the increasingly large gap between social media and real life. I think mm-hmm. that's our biggest problem. Wow. Wow. Describe that more. I, I've, I've heard that before, but I've never really quite understood it that way. Help us understand that prism, because I think a lot of us do get on Facebook and Twitter and we get really discouraged, like, oh, my gosh. You know, we are that polarized. Help us understand that difference and and how that can, you know, cause us to live differently even. Well, you know, I think the first question we have to ask is, what does social media incentivize us to do? Mm. You know, we all would love social media to, to connect us, right? To right. Like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg says, to bring us all together, to bring us all closer together. But, but if you look at what it's really doing, it's incentivizing people to make extreme statements, you know. Mm. Basically, the way the algorithms that guide social media platforms work, you know, the more engagement you get, the more those posts tend to appear earlier in people's news feeds and more mm-hmm. people are seeing them. What's the best way to get engagement? Say something, you know, sensational. Say something extreme. Right. And so what happens is we get rewarded for preaching to the choir, you know, for kind of rallying our own side instead of for reaching across the aisle. Mm. And, you know, this is, I think, the biggest problem on social media right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that that is so on point right there, Chris. <laughs> okay, so for people who actually want to make a difference, um, do you have any tips or any just advice for those of us who want to do things differently on social media? Absolutely. So the first thing I think we can all do is educate ourselves about the social media prism. So when you see that person from the other side that says something that you just can't believe, it just seems, you know, so crazy that it can't be true. Right. That might be just one extremist out there. Mm. So the first thing is to, to kind of realize that, you know, moderate people simply aren't talking on social media. Um, the mm. second thing we can do, though, is to try to boost and incentivize moderation. So instead of rewarding people for saying increasingly extreme things. What if Facebook and Twitter rewarded us for producing content that people on both sides of the aisle actually like? Hmm. And, you know, this is something that normally would be easy for Facebook or Twitter to do, but this is something that your listeners can do right now if they go to our website, polarizationlab.com. There's a bunch of free tools, including 
a bipartisanship leaderboard, which ranks the people whose tweets get the most traction across both parties. Hmm. We've also built bots that will retweet those messages every three hours, so you can kind of automatically change the way your newsfeed works. That's cool. Again, that's polarizationlab.com. Again, that's polarizationlab.com. We're thrilled to be joined by Chris Bale, professor of sociology and public policy at Duke University, where he directs the Polarization Lab. Uh, and he's written a great new book called Breaking the Social Media Prism, How to Make Our Platforms Less Polarizing. You can also learn more about Chris at Chris Bale. That's B-A-I-L, chrisbale.net. From the description of your book, I found something that was just, it really kind of fascinated me because it kind of went against something that I thought. You said that uh, the book helps explains why stepping outside our echo chambers can make us more polarized and not less. I always thought getting out of our echo chambers, like that was kind of the solution. How is it that getting out of our echo chambers can actually make us um, kind of, that could actually have the opposite effect? Great question. You know, I thought the same thing. About four years ago, I thought this was the answer to all our problems. Let's mm-hmm. take people outside their echo chamber. They'll begin to listen to the other side more. We'll be able to humanize each other, maybe even empathize each- with each other a little more. We tried a large experiment in 2017. We, we asked about 1,200 people to complete a survey about their views. And then over the next month, we paid half of them to follow a Twitter bot that retweeted messages from the other political parties. So if you're a Democrat, you were seeing uh, a message every hour from a Republican. And if you were a Republican, you were seeing a message every hour from a Democrat. Hmm. Now, of course, we hoped when we did this, at the end of the month, when we resurveyed everybody, everyone would be a little more moderate. Unfortunately, what we saw is exactly the opposite. Wow. So Democrats became a little more liberal and conservatives became a lot more conservative. Hmm. You know, and, and, you know, I think the reason why is, you know, if you think about it, what does stepping outside your echo chamber mean? I think we all want social media to be a competition of ideas, right? All the ideas get out there and the best ones rise to the top. Right. But if your experience of, of a place like Twitter is like mine, it's not really a competition of ideas. It's a competition of identities. You know, mm-hmm. we're all just out to take each other down. And when you go outside your echo chamber, what do you get? More of the other side taking you down. Mm. Ah, that that is so interesting, Chris. Um, okay, talk to us a little bit about uh, the work you guys do at Polarization Lab. Uh, what's your team like? What's the mission? Well, you know, we're at an exciting time right now for social science, studying what you know where political tribalism comes from, and it's an exciting time because we have more data than we've ever had. You know, questions that used to be impossible for social science like, scientists like me to answer. You know, we can now collect, you know, millions of data points in, in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And so it's really opened things up. You know, we, we, we can look at all sorts of new questions. We can, we can use artificial intelligence to try to, you know, learn more about how patterns like political tribalism exist. But, you know, we also need to, you know, understand that these are, you know, uniquely public problems. You know, like, we don't have the time to wait and do the research. We also need to put tools into people's hands. And so what we do that's a little bit different, I'd like to think, than the next group of academics is really trying to translate the insights from our research into actionable things that Facebook could do, Twitter could do, and most importantly, you know, people like your listeners could do. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, Chris, uh, someone like you who has studied and you've kind of dove into this, I wonder if everything that happened at the Capitol on January 6th, if you were shocked by that or if you this was the natural outcome of where you saw things going. And on top of that, what role did social media, in your opinion, as someone who has studied this, play in what ended up happening at the Capitol on January the 6th? Yeah, great question. I mean, I don't think there's anyone who wasn't shocked by January 6th. Right. I mean, you know, uh, what a disappointing series of events for everyone, no matter what your your political uh, opinion, I think. But, you know, am I surprised? You know, not entirely. And, and the reason why is, you know, extremism online has created this powerful gap between what we see online and what we see off, you know, so... We have a lot of lonely people out there, Mm -hmm. and what they're looking for is a way to belong, a way to fit in. And unfortunately, extremist groups, you know, provide a sense of belonging for people. And what these people don't realize is the people that they're connecting with online aren't, you know, ordinary normal people. The deeper they go into these extremist communities, the more the extreme ideas seem normal. And, you know, that's, again, the power of what I call the social media prism. You know, it's changing the way we understand each other, and, Mm. and mostly for the worse. So if you were pulling back the curtain on some of these uh, political extremists online, give us a sense of reality. Like, what is life really like behind, you know, the social media screen? Well, let me give you the story of a guy that sticks out in our research, because one of the things we did that's a little unusual is we talked to people before and after they followed these bots. We get to know them pretty well. And one, one person that sticks out is a guy... You know, when we met him, he's one of the most polite people, you know, I would ever met. You know, he's just super nice guy, goes out of his way to say, you know, you know, look at all these people online saying all these crazy stuff. They're a bunch of nut jobs, right? Well, then when we went to look this guy up on Twitter, we, did, we, we discovered that this guy is actually one of the most prolific political trolls out there. Wow. Each night he kind of undergoes like a Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde style transformation you know, and, and becomes one of the more, you know, extreme people on Twitter. So the question we asked is, why on earth does this guy do this? Why does he have this, you know, online and offline persona? And why yeah. is it so different? The answer, it turns out, is the guy, again, is he's, he's lonely. He's a social outcast, you know, mm-hmm. in, his, in his day-to-day life, you know, he doesn't have a lot of friends. He doesn't have a fulfilling job. You know, he's He's single. He lives with his mother, you know, wow. and online he's got a kind of micro celebrity, you know, so, so he's getting something out of out of this extremism that, that, you know, you'd never know if you meet him in real life. And that's another example of why I'm so concerned about the gap between social media and real yeah. life. Wow. Absolutely. That's a fascinating story. Now, social media is a huge part of this. I, I wonder, as you study political extremism, tribalism, all of this. Uh, the role of cable news. So, A, what's the role of kind of partisan cable news? Uh, and then also, uh, what would you encourage to people out there? Maybe they only watch Fox News. Maybe they only watch MSNBC. What do you think is more of a helpful way to ingest our news? Well, cable news is certainly part of the problem here. And, you know, that's important to note because we were polarized long before social media came along. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people want to say, oh, well, you know, Facebook, it's Facebook's fault, it's Twitter's fault. They're not helping, to be sure. (laughs) But we had a big problem long before social media. And, you know, the thing about cable news, back in the 70s, 80s, you know, you had three large networks, CBS, NBC, ABC, and none of them could afford to say anything too partisan, right? Because if you did, you'd lose half your audience. Then what happens in the 1980s and the 1990s, you got a bunch of small television stations that serve niche, you know, small audiences, and they actually do well by taking more extreme positions. And so the whole market of media changed 
somewhere around 1980 and 1990. And we were left with a situation where, you know, we've got, uh, you know, increasingly extreme cable news channels. Yeah. And, and now they're, you know, now they're the, the main show in town. So if I was to give some advice to your listeners, I think the, the best thing they could do is to try to find moderation themselves. So if you go on polarizationlab.com, again, you can check out our rankings of different media organizations and follow those that are in the middle. You know, um, media outlets like the Wall Street Journal, uh, ABC News. Um, you know, these are the ones that seem to be resonating with both liberals and conservatives and may just be the best way to try to find the middle right now. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, okay, one more question for you, maybe two if we have time. If you could, this is a little idealistic, but if you could change anything about Facebook or Twitter or some of the other social media platforms, two to three things, what would you change right now? First thing I would do is to change the way that our posts appear in our newsfeed. Again, we're getting rewarded for saying extreme things, and you know that's, that's not helping. What we need to be rewarded for is producing content that lots of different people like. Yeah. So Facebook tomorrow could change the way that it ranks posts and boosts them in our newsfeed, makes them appear earlier in our newsfeed. Mm-hmm. They could do that in a way that, you know, promoted people who are actually in the middle instead of promoting the extremes. That's the first thing. The second thing, I think we do need better content moderation. We need more transparent content moderation. We need to know exactly why the decisions are being made. But lastly, we need to see the data, you know, right now, Facebook knows a lot of things that nobody else does. They mm. have all the data. They can do all the analysis. And researchers like me are kind of standing outside saying, you know, hey, wouldn't you love to get an objective, independent assessment of things like whether conservatives are being censored more on social media than liberals? Right. You know? yeah. But we just can't know until we get the data. And I think that's one area where, you know, we're about to have a conversation as a country about government regulation. Maybe we could get some bipartisan support for uh, for people wanting to make social media companies data a little more transparent. Absolutely. Chris, this is my last question for you. Thanks so much for the time. You've been super generous mm-hmm. with your time. Uh, let's just ask it this way. Are you hopeful for us culturally? Like it feels like with all the you know conspiracy theories and polarization, all this, it, we seem to be trending in a really negative direction. But do you think we can turn a corner as a culture or, or are you pretty dubious going, no, I think we're we're in for some more pain here going forward? I think in the short term, we're in, we're in for more pain, but in the long term, I'm cautiously optimistic. And here's why. If we take the long view for a moment about social media, we see that platforms come and go. You know, right. maybe both of you are old enough like me to remember this thing called MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder about MySpace right now. Right. I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, and Facebook came out of nowhere, right? Instagram came out of mm-hmm. nowhere. TikTok came out of nowhere. Now Clubhouse is coming out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? It suggests that there's an appetite for something new. You know, nobody really loves Facebook or loves Twitter. You know, we use it because, you know, we've come to depend on it. Right. But it suggests to me that there's an opportunity for someone with vision to build something better and to learn from research and to, you know, optimize again for democracy. You know, optimize for bringing us together instead of tearing us apart. That's got to be part of the solution. And sooner or later, these platforms are going to begin to suffer because, who wants to log on to Facebook and just see a bunch of people fighting? <laughs> yes, you know, pretty soon, so true. 
people are going to want actual content that, you know, they learn from or they, they find interesting or valuable. And they're not getting that right That's now. absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Again, Chris Bale, he's been with us here. If you've missed any of the interview, I can't encourage you enough to go get the podcast. Go catch up on it. Get your podcast. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Again, you can follow Chris at chrisbale.net. That's B-A-I-L, chrisbale.net. Also on Twitter, at Chris underscore Bale. Check out the work he's doing at the Polarization Lab. Dot com, uh, and we cannot encourage you enough to get his book, Breaking the Social Media Prism, How to Make Our Platforms Less Polarizing. Chris, this was fascinating, man. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Abby. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. It. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thanks again. And again, I'd encourage you to get his book, Breaking the Social Media Prism, How to Make Our Platforms Less Polarizing. That was Chris Bell. Again, uh, we're going to close out the show here next on The Common Good as we talk more about pandemic habits going forward. What are we going to keep in our lives as we get back into a little bit of normalcy? You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. A beautiful Monday afternoon. Beautiful out there. I don't mind Mondays anymore. I think as a pastor, I'm less busy now on Mondays than like probably the regular working people out there. We work on Sundays, but we kind of, you know, a little bit less on Mondays. Ease into Monday afternoon for the show. I I think that's why Mondays have never been like, oh, Monday. In fact, sometimes I'm like, oh, I get a little time off while everyone else works. It's kind of fun, but... (laughs) Earlier in the show, we talked about what are things people will want to keep doing that brought them joy, mm-hmm. so activities mm-hmm. from the pandemic that maybe they were surprised that they enjoyed. want to end the show with uh, habits. Yeah. What are some things that maybe you started doing a different rhythm or a different uh, just perspective uh, during the pandemic? And part of this comes out of an article. Uh, Ian used to always joke how much I love lists. It talks about three <laughs> pandemic habits you should keep in your post-COVID life. And before I read these three and just kind of get your take on them, can you think of any habits that you've kind of initiated or started now that maybe we weren't doing before the pandemic that you hope to continue? I mean, I, you know, I, we what we said earlier in the show, just enjoyed that regular wither, rhythm of Friday nights as a family because mm-hmm. sometimes my kids would want to be with their friends or we had a, a church activities or what have you. And just sort of guarding that time, I think, feels really, really important. And then I would say personally, I've gotten in this great habit of getting up before my whole family gets up, having some nice time of quiet where I can read my Bible, I can journal, I can sip my coffee and just enjoy the morning Mm -hmm. before the day starts. I know that's sort of luxurious and not everyone is a season to do that, but I hope that that can continue even as things move forward. Absolutely. So this article gives us three pandemic habits you should keep in your post-COVID life. We'll put it up at at our Facebook page or Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. It said some of the activities you put in place may be worth keeping. So let me read the three to you. Okay. And you talk to me about whichever one kind of jumps out to you or all of them together as one package. Three habits. First, starting your day with intention. He says, with no morning traffic and a commute that can be counted in steps instead of miles, or with no morning traffic and a commute that can be counted in steps instead of miles, Many of us had time to ease into the day with a sense of reflection. Mornings became more on our own terms. Post-pandemic, we recommend keeping this habit by taking a minute or two to create a morning ritual that sets up the day for success. Asking these questions, what can I look forward to? What has the potential to stress me out and worry me? How do I want to feel at the end of the day? So that's number one. Number two, 
take breaks. Mm. While working from home, it was often possible to take small breaks to get outside. Continuing this habit can help boost productivity. Maybe you took time to have an amazing lunch in the middle of the day or fit in a quick, quick workout. Working from home gave us flexibility. We've got to continue with that, even if we go back to the office. And number three, uh, a lot of what we just talked to uh, Chris Bale about, unplug from the news cycle. Mm. With so much happening in the world during the past year, such as the global health and political social unrest, news and social media became a constant bombardment. But over the past couple of months, many of us audited our lives and found that these channels caused us more stress and lack of focus. So unplugging from that news cycle as we kind of okay. end out the show today talking about habits that need to continue in our lives either speak to all three of those as a big package or or just grab one of them yeah i mean i i like the morning ritual concept like, like i said before taking even just even if you don't have a luxurious hour in the morning can you take a little bit of time to sort of bullet point your day what what am i excited about what might worry me okay god help me with that and then what do I want to feel at the end of the day? That feels like an important question because then you're thinking that long-term view. What do I want to feel? What yeah. do I want to have accomplished? Um, I, I, I like that. And I'm a journaler, so I feel like those are quick things that you can journal in the morning. What stands out to you? Yeah, the breaks, the taking of the breaks. Mm. Because I think for many of us, our lives were like this, right? Like I wake up, I get ready for work. I go to work from, I know this doesn't actually how most people ended up working, but in our minds, I go to work from nine to five. Right. And then I come home, eat dinner, relax, whatever. Like it's kind of, you know, your 1970s sitcom, right? <laughs> but it's still hard to break out of that. Definitely. But I think one thing that happened during the pandemic was like, I get up, I get ready, but then I go to the, li- where do I work from at home? And then it became a lot easier to be like, all right, I'm going to work. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to walk the dog. Yeah. I'm going to go outside. Yeah. I'm going to eat lunch outside or eat lunch with my spouse or whatever else it might be. And this idea of like kind of just breaks through your day. It's not so segmented. I think that's good for us to be able to take breaks, mm-hmm. even whether it's home or at the office now or wherever it is, and just have like a reset and yeah. just kind of a mind, just kind of shut your mind off for a second, have a reset. I think that's really good. And I can't argue with unplugging from the news cycle. Obviously, that's we a good thing to do, right? a half hour about that. I think it's... Uh, it is super important. And uh, yeah, so I do think, uh, let's close the show this way. Like, I do think we can't leave this pandemic as we kind of move out of it without being different people. Yeah, we got to be different and we need to be healthier in some of the ways that maybe pre-pandemic we were a little unhealthy. Yeah, maybe the pandemic woke us up to some of the of the unhealth, the things that were controlling our lives rather than us controlling our That's lives right. or giving God control over our lives and This is a moment to examine what do we want to keep going with and what do we want to let go of and leave behind. And so these are good things. I'm plugging from the news cycle, taking breaks, and really considering your day, having that morning ritual. I like it. And the idea is to be a little reflective, right? It takes some being reflective. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. It's been a fun show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.